So this afternoon we're continuing our uh, journey through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you've not been with us before, that's where we've been looking at the last few weeks, and that's where we're going to be uh, turning to for, for coming weeks. Uh, what we tend to do here at Cavenway is we take a, a book of the Bible or a section of the Bible, uh, and we work our way uh, through it uh, to listen to what God is saying to us. One of the benefits of doing that, the great blessings of doing that, is it means we don't pick and choose uh, the bits that we want to hear. Uh, we're coming to the, the issue of lust and adultery this morning. And I think if I was given the choice uh, what to preach on this morning, I probably wouldn't have chosen this. But in God's grace, uh, that's where we are. And God will speak to us through his word. So as we turn to his word uh, again, let's just ask for his help. Dear Lord, we thank you that your word is, is powerful. Lord, we thank you that your word is able to change and transform us. Lord, um, we simply ask uh, this afternoon that you would give us uh, ears ready to hear, hearts ready to receive what you're saying. Lord, we pray that we will be like that good soil that holds fast to your word and bears much fruit. We pray that also for the young ones as they uh, look at your word upstairs in Sunday school as well. May they grow to love Jesus more and more. We ask for his glory. Amen. So it's just those four verses that we're going to be looking at in Matthew chapter 5 uh, today, verses 27 to 30. A couple of years ago, uh, we had two new additions to our family. We didn't have twins. Uh, it was the children. They were pestering. They wanted a, a cat. And slowly they wore dad down. Uh, and in the end, we didn't just get one cat, we got, we got two cats. Uh, we went to pick them up and we, we brought them home, uh, nice, kind of just a few weeks old, cuddly uh, and cute. It's pretty easy to buy a cat. I don't know if you know, but in some parts of the world, it's, uh, it's pretty easy to buy a, a big cat. You know, something like a, a tiger. Some parts of the world, you can find a seller, you can drive to their house, you can pay your money, and you can take home for yourself uh, your very own tiger cub. A cuddly, playful, uh, harmless bundle of, of fur. It will play with your children in the garden. It will uh, drink milk uh, from a bowl in your kitchen. But tigers don't stay small, cuddly, cute, and harmless for long, do they? <laughs> Before long, if you get a tiger cub, you're going to be faced with a 30-stone flesh-eating uh, monster, a killing machine. That bundle of fur that seemed harmless when you first bring it home becomes a, a savage beast. You, you really buy a, a tiger cub at your peril, don't you? Today we're, we're back in the Sermon on the Mount, as I said, and the theme of the passage uh, that we read is, is sexual sin. That's what we're thinking about today. Adultery and lust in particular. And I think that idea of bringing a tiger cub home is a good analogy when it comes to sexual sin. I'm guessing that very few of us this morning are, are kind of toying with the idea of getting ourselves a tiger cub. You know, we're not going to go on eBay or, or try and find some online seller when we get home. Uh, far more likely is that we may be tempted to think that we can be Christians and make room in our life for some seemingly harmless, small, sexual sin, and for everything to be okay. That's 
far more likely that we'll, we'll kind of face that temptation. And in the face of that temptation, we have these verses, these words from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And these uh, four verses, they call us to do two things. They call us to see sexual sin clearly, and they call us to take sexual sin seriously. There are, are two points this morning. When we started off in this journey through Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount, we said that this sermon, uh, in this sermon, Jesus lays out what it looks like to be his disciple. The sermon describes what it means or what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in this, in this world. And already in this sermon, we've, we've seen that uh, followers of Jesus are, are, will be marked by righteousness. They will have a, a hunger and a thirst to do, what's, to do what's right. And Jesus said uh, back in uh, verse 20 that those who belong to his kingdom will have a righteousness that surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees were the religious elite of the day. And they had a kind of external righteousness, which was about keeping the outward actions uh, right. What happened on, on the inside, in the heart, for the scribes and the Pharisees wasn't too much of a, a big deal. And so they would uh, read the Ten Commandments. They would read uh, what God said, do not commit adultery. Jesus quotes from the Ten Commandments there in, in, in Matthew 5. And they would read, do not commit adultery. And if they were married, as long as they didn't sleep with anyone who wasn't their spouse, or if they weren't married, uh, as long as they uh, weren't sexually intimate with anyone who was uh, married to someone else, then they, they ticked this box. Externally, they kind of, they were righteous. For them, that was the kind of beginning end of the, the sixth commandment. As we listen to Jesus' teaching here this afternoon, we realize that righteousness isn't just about our external actions. It's about our, it's about our hearts. It's not just about our physical actions. Uh, Jesus wants to get to the heart of things. He talks about lust. And so he says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, he says, Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is correcting the, the religious leader's faulty understanding of, of the law. It's not about external behavior only. It's about our hearts. And true righteousness flows out from a heart that loves God and longs to obey him from the, from the inside out. It's about loving God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. That's what true righteousness looks like. And when we think about true righteousness, we realize that there's only one man who, who has ever been truly righteous, who has loved God with, with all of his being, and that's the Lord Jesus, the one who's preaching this sermon. And so as we go through these verses today, and indeed as we go through the rest of chapter 5, we're going to see Jesus spell out what heart obedience looks like, and we're going to feel our own lack of it. We're going to feel ex exposed, and that will be true this afternoon in this area of sexual sin. None of us is pure in this area. We, we've all failed to varying degrees. 
maybe in our actions, it may be in our thoughts. All of our desires are, are bent out of shape when it comes to sex. And Jesus' words will leave us with no, no place at all for self-righteousness and patting ourselves on the back. So as we look at these verses, our, our first response should be to mourn over our sin. It should be to feel our own spiritual poverty. And so it's really important as we look at these verses this afternoon, we remember the, the context of the sermon as a whole and of Matthew's gospel. Remember those beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin. Matthew's gospel starts with the birth of a baby who, who's given the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It ends with Jesus' death and resurrection as he dies and rises again to rescue sinful people. That's the very heart of the good news. We've already celebrated that this afternoon, haven't we? And there'll be those of us, as we think about sexual sin, that feel keenly our spiritual poverty. Things that we've done in the past that we can't undo. Things that we can just can't forget. But we must remember that Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom where sinners are welcomed, where, where, where people who turn to Jesus in repentance to receive forgiveness are welcomed in. And as those who belong to Jesus' kingdom, we also are given new power and new motivation to live like Jesus, to live lives that reflect his, his character and his, his goodness. And through his words here, Jesus is training us, training us to say no, to sin and to say yes to things that are, are right when it comes to our, our sexual desires. So let's uh, think about those, those two points, seeing sexual sin clearly and treating sexual sin, taking sexual sin seriously. Just read those words again that Jesus spoke. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus there identifies uh, two sins, related sins, adultery and lust. Lust and adultery are, are logically the same. Lust is the seed, uh, adultery is the, the ugly fruit. And the root of that word lust is, is desire. It's the, the desire to have, uh, to possess, the desire to, to have for myself. So, so noticing someone is beautiful isn't lust. But we all know that uh, very easily we, we cross a line where what we see can feed impure and, and selfish thoughts and desires and then it becomes lust. And if we're really going to see uh, lust and adultery clearly, we, we can't use the lenses of this, this world we can't use this world's uh, viewpoint of, of sex and marriage to see this, the, these sins clearly. I don't know if you ever had the experience at home of uh, kind of seeing something on the ground, a little bit of metal or plastic, and you bend down and you pick it up and you look at it. It's obviously a part. It's off something. It's kind of been designed. It's been machined. It's got a, it's got a purpose. And as you look at it, you're trying to figure out what the what the thing is for, and usually you can't, so you just put it on one side and leave it there, and hopefully one day you'll, you'll figure it out. Well, as I hear the people in our, our world, in our culture, that have loud voices, and as they talk about s sex and, and marriage, 
and sexual desire, it seems to me that, that uh, it's as though they, they've picked up uh, this, this good gift of sex that God has given us and they, and they've, they, they don't know what, what it's for. They don't know what its, its purpose is. They have no framework to understand what it all, all means. And so, uh, so people make, we make our own framework to understand it. And the framework that seems to be in the world at the minute for understanding uh, sex and marriage is self. Self-pleasure, self-gratification. If it pleases me, uh, then do it. That's how I make sense of, of sexual desires. So the world says... And if we look at, at lust and adultery through that lens, lust and adultery is really no big deal. The world around us promotes lust, doesn't it? Women's magazines on the, on the supermarket shelf, they, they celebrate it. Advertisers tell us that lust is good when they use sex to sell everything from cars uh, to clothes to kitchen appliances. People normalize lust in the way they speak. The man who has a second glance and a third glance and a, and a fourth glance at the, the lady who's just walked past, he might say something like this, well, I'm just a healthy, red-blooded male. And then there's the, the billion, 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 billion dollar worldwide pornography industry that would not exist without uh, the lust of, of human hearts. And the world says lust is no big deal. And to an extent, it says the same about adultery. How does our culture view adultery? Well, often in films, it's portrayed as something positive, something exciting. Romantic uh, comedies, they often begin with a, a kind of boring, uh, unhappy marriage. And then the plot line, uh, as the plot line unfolds, uh, you see the solution is put forward that the, the answer to that, that that condition is to have a passionate, fulfilling affair. That's a well-worn plot line, isn't it, when you watch romantic comedies? And the point is this. Through the distorted lens of this world, lust and even adultery just looks like a little tiger cub. Harmless. Uh, a bit of fun. But let's now just look at adultery and lust through the lens of the scriptures from the point of view of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Helen read to us earlier uh, from Genesis 2, and in Genesis 2 we see the first marriage. Right, right at the start of the Bible, we read God creates mankind. He creates them male and female. He creates them in his own image. Uh, and they're given a task between them there to, to fill the earth and subdue it. In chapter 2, we get a little bit more detail about the creation of, of man and woman. Initially, Adam is on his own. And God said it's not good for man to be alone. There's no way he can uh, achieve the task that God has called him to on his own. And so God makes a helper. But this helper isn't just a friend or a, a fellow worker. This helper is a, a spouse, a, a marriage partner. And God brings Adam and Eve together and they're made one. And the commentary on that first marriage gives us a template for every marriage. So we read, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two will become one flesh. One man, one woman becoming one flesh. That's God's template for, for marriage. 
And within that marriage, sex is part of God's good creation. Sexual intimacy is the, the highest expression of this, this one flesh union. And it's there to deepen and strengthen the marriage relationship. And then in the love and security of that marriage, uh, children can be made and grow and, and nurtured. And that's the way Adam and Eve, they fill the earth and, and subdue it. And the point is this, marriage and sex, by design, they're not about self-fulfillment. Outward, they've got a, a purpose. They're foundational to God's purposes for humanity in general. That's not to say that everyone will be married or, or all will have children. But marriage and sexual intimacy within marriage is God's design for the fabric of, of human society. Now, now put adultery into that picture. In that framework, adultery is not a, a, a harmless tiger cub. It's a, it's a savage destroyer, isn't it? Adultery is a, a rebel assault on God's purposes in creation. Adultery demands that the whole of the created order be unraveled because of me and my desires. Adultery rips apart that one flesh relationship. It smashes the family. It, it tears at the very fabric of, of society. So if, if, if the beauty of creation in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is like a, a magnificent painting, adultery is like a seven-year-old child taking a, a crayon and scribbling all over it. No wonder God in his wisdom inscribed on that tablet of stone, do not commit adultery. As the Bible story unfolds, we see more about the, the purpose and the meaning of, of marriage. When uh, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he's uh, writing uh, some instructions for how Christian marriage should, should work. Love is at the, the heart of it. And then he quotes from Genesis 2. He says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then he says, This is a profound mystery, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul is saying there that the, the ultimate purpose of marriage is to, in, in some way, reflect the, the sacrificial, self-giving love that is at the heart of the gospel. That love that gives and gives for the good of others. Love within marriage is, is meant to be a pale reflection of Jesus' love for his church, the Jesus who, who laid down his life for the church. Jesus' love, isn't it? It's a covenant-keeping love. It's a faithful love. It's a, it's a love that will stop at nothing but will go all the way to the cross. And marriage is a reflection of that covenant-keeping, faithful, faithful love. Each time uh, someone at church gets married, usually Joy and I have the, the, the job that we enjoy of doing some marriage classes we don't do marriage classes because we've got it all together. <laughs> we certainly haven't. But we do marriage classes to look at what, what God says in his word. And so we look at some of the stuff we've been uh, looking at today. And there's a quote that I put on one of the handouts. It says this. The cross of Christ is the model 
for the ultimate one flesh intimacy between married couples. To be one flesh is to give ourselves up to the other, to care for their comfort and pleasure more than our own. That's what Jesus did at the cross. Now, now put adultery and lust into that framework where marriage and sex is meant to reflect costly, sacrificial love. There's nothing loving about lust, is there? Lust is, is selfish. It's self-centered. It's got no regard for covenant boundaries. No regard for covenant faithfulness. Love turns people into, lust turns people into objects to be used for my pleasure. Lust makes no commitment. It gives nothing. It takes everything. If love within marriage is meant to be a, a mirror of the gospel and Jesus' great love, which it is, then lust uh, takes a great stick and smashes that mirror into a thousand pieces. Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. As I said earlier, when it comes to sexual sin, all of us have failed by varying degrees. And this is an uncomfortable passage, isn't it? But if you're a Christian uh, this afternoon, the aim of looking in this passage is not to make us feel guilty for sins that have been forgiven, that are covered by the blood of Jesus. The aim is to help us see again that adultery and its root lust really have no place in your life when you belong to the kingdom of God. Those who belong to Jesus will in the grace of God have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. We will want to obey God from our hearts. And that means we have to take sexual sin seriously. And that's what Jesus speaks about in these last two verses. Just look at verses 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better to lose one of your members than your whole body to go down to hell. Tearing out eyes and, and cutting off hands, that sounds, sounds pretty good gory, doesn't it? There are some people in, in church history who have taken Jesus' words uh, literally and cut bits of their body off. I don't think we're meant to take these words literally, but the graphic imagery is meant to, sh to shock us. Jesus says that if your life is marked by unchecked, unrepentant sin, and the context here is sexual sin, and you don't belong to the kingdom of God, you're heading for hell. They're clear and startling words, aren't they? If your life is marked by unchecked, unrepentant sin, you don't belong to the kingdom of God. As terrible as it would have been to have your eye torn out or your hand to cut off, to go to hell is, is far, far worse. Jesus isn't saying here that we earn our, our way into the kingdom of God by avoiding sexual sin or that we, we keep our place in the kingdom of God by trying really hard to be good. But he's making it clear that those who do belong to God's kingdom will live differently. They will begin to reflect his, his rule 
in their, in their lives. If we belong to God's kingdom, we will mourn our sin. We will, we will hate it. We will long to obey from the heart. As I said, heart obedience means taking sexual sin seriously. There's nothing uh, sinful, innately sinful about a right hand or, or a right eye, is there? They're the good gifts of God. You wouldn't want to be without your right hand, particularly if you're right-handed. Uh, you probably all quite value your, your right eye. But sometimes it's the case that even good things, even neutral things can turn our hearts away from devotion to Jesus. And Jesus said, if that's the case, better, better be rid of them. A little further on in Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow, follow me. <laughs> Self-denial, particularly when it comes to our sexual desires, sounds strange to our world. It even, it even sounds dangerous uh, to our world. But for those who are committed to heart obedience, it's, it's absolutely necessary. What will it look like for us to take sexual sin seriously and obey Jesus' words when he calls us to tear out our eye or cut off our hand? What will it mean for us? Well, it'll probably all look a little bit different. Do you notice Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin? We're all very different. We're all tempted in different ways by different circumstances. For one person, it may be a kind of intimate relational connection that leads them to start daydreaming about a, a romantic affair. For someone else, it might be what they, they see in a world full of screens. You don't have to go looking uh, for things to trigger your lust. They'll find you, that, that email that ends up in your, in your, in your spam. That thing that comes upon the TV screen as you're looking for something uh, to watch. Jesus says, if you know there's some things that are going to cause you to sin in the air of your sexual desires, be ruthless. Cut it out. You don't need a smartphone to survive. If that's an issue for you, you don't need it. You, you can. You really can live life without a smartphone. It may be inconvenient. People may wonder why you've gone back to your Nokia 3310. Uh, but you can. Better that than have your heart hardened by online pornography to the extent that you, you no longer see or believe the beauty of the gospel. Maybe you're in a relationship that's involving, a relationship evolving, a relation that, that you've, you've come to, to value. Maybe you're married or, or they're married and this affection is growing. Jesus says, be ruthless. Cut it off. Cut it off now rather than allow it to grow and flourish and produce its ugly fruit. Maybe when it comes to fighting sexual sin, you, you know that you're failing and you know that you need help. You, you, you feel you must talk to someone. How can I talk to anyone about this? What will, they, what will they think of me? What about my reputation? Well, if you truly mourn over your sin and are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, your reputation or what someone else thinks of you will, will really not be too important. I can think of a time in, in my life when I was having difficulty with something and I, I went to talk to my pastor and it was so helpful 
That's what church family is for, isn't it? It's, it's to, to help one another along the, the journey through this, this dangerous world to the heavenly city. Verse 29 and 30 describe the self-denying actions that people take when they take sexual sin seriously and desire to obey Jesus from the heart. We're, we're nearly through, uh, but let me close with some words from 1 Corinthians and chapter 6. For some, uh, thinking about this subject of sexual sin may make us uh, feel or remember shame and regrets from the past. I want to end by reminding us again of, of the gospel. For all who know and trust Jesus, these words are true. Listen to what Paul writes. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually moral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. For those who... Uh, trust and follow Jesus. We are forgiven. An old life has ended. Don't, don't be what you were. In Christ, a new life has begun. Be, be what you are. It's wonderful, the gospel, isn't it? It doesn't give us such hope. Hope of forgiveness. Hope of transformation. Hope of that great day when we will see Jesus face to face. Let's, let's pray together and then we'll have our final song. Dear Lord God, we thank you for your word to us again this afternoon. We thank you that your word feeds our souls. Thank you that it sustains us to eternal life. Father, we thank you that you know each one of us. Nothing is hidden from your sight. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to hold fast to your word. We pray that by your spirit it would uh, change us and transform us. Help us to see uh, sexual sin as you see it. Help us to hate it and turn from it, we pray. Lord, for any who don't yet know Jesus, we pray, Lord, that you would uncover their own hearts before them, that they would say they, see that they, they need a saviour. Lord, we thank you for the good gifts of marriage and sex. We thank you that how they provide stability for society when we take them in the way that you have given them to us. We thank you that they reflect the great news of the gospel. And we pray for us all as a church, whether we're single or, or married, that, Lord, we would honor you uh, with our sexual desires. We ask this in Jesus' name, that he will be glorified. Amen. Amen. Our final song is a song all.